You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Praise the Lord. So this morning, I, I want to talk about something that is a practice that should be a practice for most every Christian. And it should be a practice for pretty much every church. But it's probably one of the least used tools of the church. And that is of prayer. Whenever we talk about prayer, we understand that prayer is something we all should do. In fact, there's no end of teachings on prayer. There's no end of books and uh, videos and audio teachings on prayer. And we've probably heard them all. And even my message today, as I talk about it, you might say, well, I've heard that before. But it's not simply enough to know that prayer is something we should do. My hope today is that you're encouraged to actually do it. So let's talk about prayer this morning. Why do people sometimes not pray? Well, part of it is because, I've heard this before, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. When I, when I pray, like, I don't know what to tell God. I don't know what to say to Him. And if that's kind of how you feel about prayer, can I encourage you with a, a simple understanding that might help you out? from just everyday life. Think of the people that you um, first met and that you had conversations with. I'm probably guessing that if you have friends now, you weren't always friends. You didn't just end up coming into this life instantly friends. But there had to be a meeting and interaction at some point in time. There had to be a point in your life where you engaged or met them and engaged them in some conversation. Most of us would say, okay, for some, in, except in the cases where some of us are a little more talkative than others, you know who you are, that um, those conversations started off kind of simple and kind of slow. You know, maybe you talked about the weather, maybe you talked about sports, maybe you talked about things that you tried to find a common ground in. Or maybe you found yourself in a particular situation that was familiar to you, and you were both talking about the situation. But the conversation started slow, without much to say. But then as the friendship developed, more conversation came out of that. And prayer is like that too, that understanding that at first, if you've never done it before and if you've never talked to God, that there are times where it may seem a little slow going. Also, by the same token, too, if it's been a while since you've talked to God, you might feel a little embarrassed going to him to talk to him. But can I tell you just and encourage you just to get over that a little bit? That God is always glad to hear from you. God's always glad to talk to you. You know why? Because you are his child. And like any good father would, he is always happy to welcome his child into his presence, to express his love to him, and to embrace them right where they are. So get over that piece of it where you're kind of like, well, it's been a while since I talked to him, so you know what I should do? Not talk to him. God's not like the people in our lives where if it's been a while, we sometimes don't talk. But how many times have you talked to a friend that you haven't talked to in a long time? You just decide to text them or pick up the phone and call them. And they don't go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you t- decided to call me out of nowhere. How dare you? Unless you did something bad, which if that's the case, they might say that to you. But most of us understand that if we have friends from high school or college or from ministry or from church, if we all of a sudden out of the blue contact them, we recognize that they are probably really excited to talk. 
So if we can get over that piece of like feeling like prayer is like drudgery, prayer is a difficulty, prayer is something that I have to do, instead of looking at it as a privilege in the sense that we can contact and communicate with God and He can communicate with us. So one of the reasons that people don't pray is that they don't know what to say. Um, sometimes you might not be sure if prayer even works. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and, you know, you haven't seen the results. So you're like, does this even work? Um, sometimes prayer might seem like a one-sided conversation and you're like, well, is he even listening? Can I encourage you today that God is listening, even if you don't necessarily feel him or if you don't even think that you have a response come back to you, God is indeed listening. Now, what are some of the things that people pray for? A LifeWay research study in 2014 showed this, is that uh, people pray for different things. Most of the time, 82%, they pray for family or friends. 74%, they pray for their own problems and difficulties. Uh, They pray for good things to happen. They pray for their own sin. They pray for people in natural disasters. Have you noticed that pretty much the majority of prayer focuses around what's going on in my life and the people that are closest to me. So we tend to be focused on problems and requests and people and blessings and seldom praying for other things outside of that. I found it interesting that the focus is usually self in most of our prayers. Now, how do people pray? Uh, A Barna study in 2017 showed this, is that when asked how many people pray, like what do you pray, like how do you pray, and 82% said that mostly they pray silently by themselves. 13% said they audibly pray by themselves. 2% said they audibly pray with another person or group. And 2% say collectively with a church. So it's interesting to note that in this survey that was done, the people that like to pray out loud among other people the most uh, are either from Latino descent Uh, African-American descent, or Pentecostals, of course. We Pentecostals love to pray out loud among other people, but it is not the normal practice for most people. So sometimes if you come into a a church where people are loud and exuberant in their prayers, it might seem strange to you, especially if you come from conservative New England, where if you were raised in a traditional church and you went to church, you're like, you don't interrupt church. They do the church We do the sitting and listening, and you don't interrupt the church. If you talk, if you whisper, if you unwrap a candy wrapper, you are interrupting church. And God is not pleased with that at all. But when you understand that prayer is something that was part of not only your personal life, but also part of the church, it's an important understanding to have. Now, what did Jesus have to say about prayer? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, too. It'll be on the screen behind me. I also want to say, if you're new and visiting today, welcome and thanks for coming today. Please fill out a visitor card before you weigh out or do the, uh, the virtual visitor card. We will send you a gas card in the mail, which is good for maybe two gallons of gas. So, it was more a couple years ago, but not so much now. So, there's incentive to let us know that you came today. Thank you so much. So, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at, starting at verse 5. And this is the model prayer. 
And Jesus said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret reward you openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of even before you ask. Now let me pause here as we look at this uh, passage of Scripture, this teaching from Jesus, to point out what Jesus is not saying, because we just went over a little survey, like, well, you just talked about people praying out loud, and your church prays out loud, and Jesus just said you shouldn't do that, right? No, let's stop for a minute and see what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying you shouldn't pray in public. He prayed over the Last Supper with his disciples. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers prayed loudly together when the Spirit came. When the church saw that Peter was in prison, they came together and prayed out loud corporately for his release. Paul told Timothy, and when he was pastoring the church in Ephesus, that uh, in Corinth, it should say, that prayers should be offered in the assembly for all men who are in authority. So praying in public is allowed. Jesus is also not saying that you cannot pray out loud or offer long prayers because in Luke 6.12 it says that Jesus sometimes prayed through the entire night. So he's not saying that you can't pray for long periods of time. So don't walk away from this message saying, see, like, I should pray by myself. And they shouldn't be long, and that should be prayer, but to understand that there are different kinds of prayers for different occasions. Instead, what Jesus is doing, he's calling out the hypocrisy of the practice of prayer. People who make eloquent prayers in public, but neglect the private practice of prayer. Or by making prayer a show to be heard by men rather than God. Jesus wants our prayers to be to him rather than the appreciation of men. So what the Lord's talking about here is like it's okay to pray in public so long as you have a life of private prayer. But if the only time that you're praying is when people are looking and people are watching, and believe me, there are some eloquent people that can pray very well and they have the experience and they have the vocabulary and if you are really super spiritual you do it in the King James Version when you pray with the these and thous and it might sound flowery and good but if the only time you're praying is when the people are watching or when people can admire your oratory skills then you are missing the point of prayer because there is supposed to be a private element of prayer and a public element of prayer too. As one biblical scholar wrote, Jesus encourages them to pray privately before praying publicly. Otherwise, it's just words and a performance without substance. In verse 6, Jesus says, Go into your room and close the door. Most Jewish homes had a storeroom or a guest room that had a door on it that you can go in and close the door to be alone. And there's something to be said for privacy in prayer. It's in the solitary 
quiet and distraction-free places that God will settle your mind and heart. If you find yourself constantly racked with the thoughts about what's going to happen or worst-case scenarios, then it's time to set aside some time to pray and to focus your mind on the Lord. Now, what's problematic is when you sit down and you take quiet time for yourself, what do you find happens? Let's put some examples to the test. When is the time that you have the worst difficulty thinking about things and you find yourself worried? I'm going to guess to say that's probably when you're laying your head to the pillow at night to sleep. Why? Because the phone should be away and you're left to your own thoughts. And when you're left to your own thoughts, all the things that you pushed out of your head during the day start flooding into your head at night because you go, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? No, I haven't thought about that because I've been wanting to avoid thinking about that all day long. And they come flooding into your mind. When you're in the shower and you don't have your phone, you shower, you don't have any distractions, thoughts into your head, all different kinds, and worries about the day. Why? Because you have nothing to distract you and your mind is there. So it shouldn't be any surprise that when you pray and you've put away all distractions and you're trying to pray, you're trying to focus on God, that these thoughts, these darts, these arrows start coming your way. Why is that? It's simply because you have now given yourself some time where it's quiet and your mind is allowed to relax and it starts to think about these things. You have to discipline your mind. You have to stop your thinking and say to yourself, you know what, I know that's a problem. The thoughts that come to mind are real problems that you're going to have to deal with. But just because they're coming up doesn't mean like you should fret or worry or be fearful or to be distracted. Keep your mind focused on the task at hand. You've set aside time to meet with God. The solutions that you might think you have for your problems can only go so far. But when you've uh, set aside a time for prayer, when you've created an appointment with God, you are bringing your needs to the only one who has the power to change everything that you're worried about. So if your minds are going, well, this and that, and what about this and what about that? What it's doing is it's distracting you from bringing it before the only person that can truly help you. So you know it might help in those moments. Vocalize them to the Lord. Lord, I'm worried about my mortgage. God, I'm worried about how I'm going to make ends meet. God, I'm worried about this visit that I have to the doctor. I don't know how it's going to turn out. God, I'm so tired and I'm in pain and I'm tired of being in pain. God, I don't know what to do about my job situation. I don't know what to do about the future. I don't know what to do. You know what? It's okay to be transparent before God, your Father, because He cares about you and He has the solution available for you. If you would just come to Him and bring it before Him, He would say to you, my son, my daughter, sit alongside me. I have what you need, and I will give you the direction that you're looking for. But we have to be willing to do so. Close the door. Find a solitary, quiet place. Jesus modeled private prayer. He often went to solitary places to be alone, away from the crowds, away from what everybody wanted from him, and to spend time alone with God to hear from him. The Bible talks about corporate prayer, and corporate prayer is powerful, but private prayer is powerful too. 
And we should not neglect one over the other, but employ both for the kingdom of God. It is in the practice of private prayer and the place of private prayer we hear from God. And it's in the public places of prayer we see the demonstration of God's power. I'll say it again. It's in the private places of prayer that we hear from God, and it's in the public places of prayer we see the demonstration of God's power. If you're trying to do one without the other, it will be impotent in its power. But if you pair the two together, I'm praying about this privately, and I'm praying about this publicly, then we're seeing God work on two fronts. The private work of prayer isn't glamorous. It's not something that's going to be recognized by others. Many times we, we pray for the same needs and the same people, and it might seem like we keep praying over and over again for the same things without seeing any progress. Sometimes in prayer it's hard to focus when it's just ourselves. You may even wonder, is God even listening? But let me reassure you, He is indeed listening. To devote yourself to prayer means that you are putting your trust squarely and fully in God's character. That when I'm bringing it before him, that God is a man of his word. And that I'm a child of God, bought and redeemed by the cross and brought into eternal life through the resurrection of Christ and know that I have an open door to meet with him, that when I meet with him, I will see his hand at work. Even if I don't see progress right when I pray. Even if I don't feel like I've been heard. Even if I don't feel like I'm hearing anything back. Know that you have to trust in the character of God that he is listening. The work of prayer can sometimes be long and laborious. And it doesn't often receive the appreciation of men. It's the private work of prayer that results in the public result of God's hand at work. We need to learn to pray privately as well as publicly, but we need to also pray sincerely. Verse 7 says, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. Jesus refers to the practice of pagans who would often repeatedly invoke the name of their many gods in an attempt to get them to answer them. The Pharisees were eloquent and loved to use flowery words when they prayed. Sometimes they would repeat a certain phrase or prayer over and over again in their praying, but they lacked sincerity when they prayed. They prayed out of rote and habit. They weren't praying out of concern for the people they were praying for, but they were praying that people would be impressed by their prayer. So, If there was a need, they would say, well, okay, well, I'm going to pray for you. And their concern was not for the person that was being prayed for. A lot of their prayers focused on themselves. And so they would make a show of it. They may even have done it so many times, it was just easy for them to do, and they had no problem doing it, and they want everyone to know that they were praying for that person. But they had uh, offered prayers without any sincerity, without any heart. God's not impressed with prayers without a true and sincere heart behind them. If you want to talk about the kind of prayers that God listens to, he doesn't listen to proud, practiced prayers. He listens to the broken-hearted prayer of sincerity. He listens to the heart of the person that genuinely wants to see God move and genuinely wants to see God work. 
In fact, God rebuked the people of Israel uh, in Isaiah's day for acknowledging with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. The Lord wants to know we are sincere when we pray. He wants to know that we mean what we are actually praying. Verse 8 says, don't, you don't have to pray with long words because your heavenly Father already knows what you have need of. Does that mean you don't pray for it? No. Can I just tell you that God knows what you have need of before you ask, but ask anyway? Because even though God knows, you need to know that he knows. And so that when he answers, your faith will be built. Prayer is not for him, it's for you. You sharing your needs with God is not for him because God already knows your needs. But if you share your needs with God and he answers that need, guess what happens? Your faith is built. Your faith is strengthened. You have a greater confidence in prayer now because you've seen God answer prayer. So we have to remember that he sees and he knows. Wherever you find yourself right now, whatever situation you're in at this moment, whether your things are going really well and you've hit your stride and you're in the sweet spot of life, that's great. But maybe you feel like your life is a dumpster fire, you're a terrible Christian, you're a terrible mother or father, you're a terrible sibling, you're a terrible friend. I got news for you. God's still there too. And then you can come to him and bring these things before him because God knows. We can't hide it from him. Whether life is going good or life is going poorly, he knows. I don't know about you, I'm excited by the fact that God knows and God cares and he already knows even before we go there so that when I bring it to him and I say, no, Lord, I need help with this thing, he'll say, I already know and I have a solution for you. I have a plan in store for you. He just wants us to come to him. Let's continue in Matthew 6. You know, the same teaching that we're reading about today is actually found in Luke as well. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And here in the Luke's gospel, the disciples say, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. He didn't say like, they didn't say like, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to perform miracles. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to be eloquent. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. In other words, they saw something in the prayer life of Jesus that they wanted to emulate. They saw that Jesus modeled the life of prayer to others. They also knew that Jesus' prayers were powerful. So they said, I want to learn how you pray. Teach us how. Now, if there's anyone that didn't need to pray, it would be Jesus, right? Jesus is God. So like, Jesus, why do you need to pray when you are the embodiment of God's will? You're in the embodiment of the Father. You know, why do you need to pray? Can't you just will it? And it is. If, we, if there was any person that said, you know, no, I'm good. I kind of know. It would be Jesus. But yet Jesus prayed regularly, early in the morning, late at night, sometimes through the night, and he prayed. Why? Because he saw it was important to stay connected to the will of his heavenly Father. And if Jesus saw that just as important for his ministry and his life, we also should see that's important. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century famous Baptist preacher, said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. 
Because God can give you the fire to preach through prayer, and you can learn to preach. But if you have no heart or passion from God, preaching is just empty words. Prayer is the key to God's conviction and power. The disciples wanted to learn how to pray, so Jesus shows them how. Let's look at verses 8 through 15 in the New King James Version. So Jesus says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So Jesus modeled what prayer should be like. It's often called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Sometimes Protestants are reluctant to recite this when they go to a service because, like, I can't say that. Should I say that? These are Jesus' words. It's okay, all right? Can I tell you that? But this prayer is given as a model for the disciples to follow. And so in it, as we go to the next slide, it covers the closeness of God. In this prayer, it's like, our Father, not, oh God, who doesn't care about me? It's our Father who is in heaven. He's distant in heaven, but he's as close as my heart. Why? Because he's my Father. He's my Heavenly Father. When Jesus is talking about the Heavenly Father, he's not just saying this is only the title that I can use. He's saying this is the title that you can use too. It speaks of the holiness of God. Hallowed be your name. In other words, God is to be revered. He is to be respected. He is holy and righteous. It speaks of the kingdom work of God. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What it's saying in that moment is saying, God, we want your kingdom at work here. Don't you? Don't you want God's kingdom at work in the world that we live in? Not a political kingdom, not a a kingdom, a royalty of kingdom, but I'm talking about God's work of his kingdom. The same thing that we saw in Jesus' life and the same thing that we saw in the apostles' lives being at work here in the world today. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing to see him work in that way today? But it only comes when we align our will with his. When we align our purposes with his. When we do that, then we'll see God move. Then we'll see things take place and shift and change like they're supposed to. In this prayer is the provision of God. God, you are our provider. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we are praying daily for God's provision. We'll say, well, I don't want to pray for bread, Pastor. No, provision is what he's talking about here. God, give me what I need for each day. And maybe you might find yourself in a spot in life where things are getting a little tight, and they're getting tight for everybody financially. And it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So what does that mean? Do we just stop praying? Do we give up hope? Do we forget about things? No, God is your provider. So pray to him for the daily provisions you need. In this prayer is the forgiveness of God. God, forgive 
us our debts. But then there's this other part, forgive our debtors too. God, help me to forgive others, but Lord, forgive me when I pray. When we come to him, our confession, our repentance, and our request for forgiveness should always be part of our prayer. In it, we see the deliverance of God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God's not going to lead us into temptation, but another way to understand this is that sometimes we are led through trials because trials are a part of the Christian life. Testing is part of the Christian life. And I want you to notice something very important about trials and testing. That when you go through trials and testing, that's when the temptation comes in to abandon your faith. Therein is the temptation to give up hope. Therein is the temptation to just stop believing in God and just walk away from everything when you go through your most difficult times and seasons. So, Lord, you lead us through trials, but lead us away from temptation to abandon you. Lead us away from the evil one that would seek to sift us like wheat. Prayers, like any sermon, should have a start and a finish, right? Don't worry, I will. If you're new, you're like, wow, he talks a lot and yells. But you always, here's some tips on some things. If you're not a praying person, and that will help you. Maybe you are and you just need a refresher first thing is this. Start your prayers with our Father. Start your prayers with Heavenly Father. I always do because of what we just read. We're reminding who God is and our connection with Him. I always end my prayers within Jesus' name because in John 14, 13, and 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So when we're praying to God the Father and we bring our petitions to him, after we've said everything that we're going to say, after we've brought everything before him, we say, and we ask this in Jesus' name because it's the name of Jesus that holds power. It's the name of Jesus that overcame death. It's the name of Jesus that was the resurrection power at work in the life of the believer. So his name is the name of the new covenant in which we are sealed and the power by which he has. And then we pray, amen. Now, what is amen? Amen seems, is simply this, so be it. So when we're saying, you know, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, we're saying, God, by the power of your Son that has purchased for us eternal life on the cross and who has given us all the promises of his word, that they are yes and amen to the believer in Christ. In his name we pray, so be it. And we seal the deal, and we say that's going to be done according to God's will at work. So when I close my prayer, I always say in his name. And so you might say, well, okay, well, what do I do in the meantime? Do I have to follow a certain rote? Can I just encourage you, start with Heavenly Father, end with in Jesus' name, amen, and then in the middle, talk to him. Talk to him. Tell him what's going on. Tell him what's going on in your life and what you need, and talk to him as if you were talking to your friend, or your beloved Heavenly Father. Start it somewhere instead of going, well, I just don't know how. Most of us had to learn something at some point in time. I remember being, you know, when my kids were younger and I would pray for them at night, 
And I would encourage them to pray, and they say, well, I don't know how to pray like you do. And I tell them, I have had a little bit more practice than you. So, of course, my prayers sound a little bit more polished, sound a little bit more professional, they sound a little bit more, you know, normal in your ears. And like, I can't pray like that. Jesus is not asking you to pray like me. He's not asking you to pray like your father or your grandmother did. He's not asking you to pray like that. He's just asking you to pray in the same way that you talk to other people. Talk to God that way and let him know what's going on. Finally, Jesus deals with this next part, which has to do with fasting. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. It says, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, what is fasting? Fasting is simply defined as the abstaining from food from a limited time to give greater attention to spiritual matters. Many spiritual men of the Bible prayed and fasted. Jesus fasted. Moses fasted. The the prophets fasted. The apostles fasted. But oftentimes it's connected with prayer, but it also has other purposes. Sometimes fasting is about being silent and hearing from God. Sometimes it's about spending time thinking and meditating on God's Word. Sometimes the nation was called to fasting as a matter of national repentance. Other times an individual would fast for God's direction and strength. And there were times that people fasted. When they fasted, they would give their food to the hungry so that they would not be without. If you fast without praying, though, it's just dieting. If you abstain from food, but you don't bother to pray, that's not fasting. That's just simply choosing not to eat. There's even benefits, like even the world that we live in today talks about the benefits of doing a purge or a cleanse or a 24-hour fast. So fasting is, is not a spiritual discipline if you're not pairing it up with prayer or spending time with God. Fasting is a spiritual exercise a physical exercise that has a spiritual application. Just as you struggle with hunger and you suppress it with fasting as self-discipline, so too we bring our sinful passions under submission to God's Spirit through fasting and prayer. And although it weakens the body, it strengthens the Spirit. So you know how like, you, if you fast and pray or if you, don't, you go without eating for a day, you're like, you got that rumbling inside you? Maybe you have it right now because, like, it's almost noontime. It's not really. It's almost 11.30. And you might think to yourself, I could have brunch. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch or dinner today. I'm thinking about the cookout I'm going to. And your stomach might kind of have that rumbling. And if you've ever had to, like, suppress it, you know that struggle of, like, I'm hungry, I'm miserable, you know, I, I, do, I don't feel good right now. There is a spiritual application that that we have hungers and passions and desires that are very natural and sometimes very sinful. Food in and of itself is not a sinful desire. Too much food is. 
okay? We also have other desires that are natural desires, but they can be sinful desires too. We can have lust or we can have anger or other things in our heart that if we don't learn to suppress and control, then they will drive us and direct us. So there's a battle between flesh and spirit, your nature and God's nature, your spirit and God's spirit. So fasting teaches us to self-discipline those things so that we can bring it into control and pursue what God wants and what God desires. There's different kinds of fasting. Uh, So we can take a look at that too. You can do a uh, normal fast, which is fasting of food and drink, but not water. You can do a partial fast of fasting certain things. There's an absolute fast, which is fasting everything, food and water, and that should only be done in limited uh, capacity and short time spans. There's a Daniel fast where you fast everything but fruits and vegetables. But fasting is not about getting God to recognize you. It's not about I do this and God do that for me. Fasting is about taking that time that you would be eating and spending time with God and focusing your attention on Him and pressing in to hear from the Lord or to see a breakthrough take place. Listen, if you're going through a tough time and you haven't seen breakthrough take place, one of the things that you can do is you can fast and pray that God will break that yoke and break that stronghold. If regular prayer is not doing it, then there's times where you may be called to fast or you might devote yourself to fasting so that you see the breakthrough that you need or you get the answer that you need or that you get a closeness with God and understanding of the situation. Jesus fasted and prayed. The disciples fasted and prayed. And when they did that, they were spending time with God so they could hear clearly from him. The problem with the way that the Pharisees fasted is they liked to let everybody know they were fasting. They would contort their faces and, and, and look miserable. You ever talk to someone who's been fasting and they look miserable? That's not how you should be fasting. The Pharisees would go around, I'm fasting. What's wrong with you? I'm miserable. And they did that so that people would see how spiritual they were. Or they would let their physical appearance go. They wouldn't shave. They wouldn't wash. They wouldn't put, when you see anointing, it doesn't mean like I anoint myself with oil. They used to put oil in their hair to kind of make it uh, neat and evenly and to kind of like let it go where it's supposed to go. So they would let that go. And so they'd go around miserable looking. So people would ask. And if they asked, then they could say, well, it's because I'm fasting. And people were impressed with their spirituality and their piety because, hey, you know what? They're fasting. Isn't that impressive? Isn't that amazing? And Jesus said, if you're doing that like they are, you got your reward. If you want to impress people, you did it. Congratulations. Give yourself a hand clap. But God didn't hear it, and God's not doing anything with that. But he says, be different than the Pharisees. When you fast, when you pray, don't tell anybody you're fasting or praying. When you're fasting and praying, get up, shower, shave, whatever. Put, do your hair nice. Ladies, do your hair nice. Don't look miserable. But go about it and don't let anybody know you're fasting because when you're doing that, what you're doing is in private. 
What you're doing is in secret. When you are spending time alone with God, there's a real work that's happening there. The wheels are turning. The spirit is moving. The labor is happening behind the scenes. It's almost like if you were to go to a show, and if you were going to a show and you're waiting for the show to start, you see the curtains are pulled, but you can tell there's activity and the things are about to happen. Fasting and prayer is very much like that. Behind the curtain, you can see things are moving. But nothing's been revealed yet. God will reveal his answer in time and in season. If you've been waiting for something, God's going to do it in the time that is right in which he will be glorified and your faith will be strengthened. When you do this in private, God will answer you in public. And once you love the public answer to prayer, then the public praise of men. Think about that for a minute. Wouldn't you prefer the public answer to prayer than the public praise of men? Say that people go, wow, that person's so spiritual. Did you hear they've been fasting for 40 days straight and all they've been eating is like Ritz crackers? And isn't that impressive? Aren't you impressed? And God's not impressed by that. But wouldn't it be impressive that you've been praying and fasting behind the scenes and the thing that you've been working on for so long and that you've been worried about for so long, that finally everybody who knows about that sees God come through. Family members are saved. Physical conditions are healed. Breakthrough comes. Wouldn't it be awesome if you go, how did that happen? Let me tell you how it happened. It happened through prayer. And when God does that, it's an amazing thing. I'm going to wrap things up here. Very simple. My message is, what is the kind of prayer that God hears? And Jesus shares this little story about two different kinds of people and the kind of attitude that you should have in prayer. It's found in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And Jesus said, and talked about this parable, about some who trusted in themselves. Okay? There's a lesson here for us. Sometimes when we don't pray, we feel like the answer's in ourselves or someone else. But he has this to say about it. He says, those who trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised other people. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and thus prayed with himself. God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Listen to what he says. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, who is standing afar off in the same room with them, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man was justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men, two different attitudes in prayer. One, a Pharisee, considered a very religious man. The other, a tax collector, who was considered the worst of sinners in Jesus' day because he worked for the Roman Empire. One who thought that he was better than everyone else. And can I caution you, too, that if your prayers focus around how bad everyone else is and how thankful you are that you're not them. You have the wrong attitude in prayer. 
This Pharisee's prayer were to God, but they were really about him. He said, I'm glad I'm not like this person. Who is he really praying about? Himself. God, I'm thankful that I'm so great and that I'm not like all the messed up people. Can I just tell you that that attitude in of itself is messed up? There's no humility. There's no regret. There's no self-awareness of his own sin, only self-righteousness. The Pharisees' prayers were empty words, an opportunity to talk about himself and to make a big show. And he left the temple proud of himself, but not forgiven by God. Contrast that with the tax collector, a picture of a man filled with remorse for his own sins who recognizes his need for God and prays a sincere prayer of repentance whose sense of righteousness did not come from himself, but the mercy that God alone provides. It's with this heart and this attitude and this prayer that God gives uh, forgiveness and justification. When that tax collector left the temple, he left it forgiven and cleansed and justified by God. Humility is the key to sincerity. That's the kind of prayer that God hears Humility is acknowledging to God that you don't have all the answers. Humility is the acknowledgement that you need him. Humility is the acknowledgement that only he can help you. And when you come to God humbly, he will lift you up. But if you come to God with pride in your heart, he will find ways to humble you. Both achieve the same result, but the admission for your need to Jesus is much better when you need help prayer that we can pray is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I need your help. God, guide me and direct me. I don't know what to do. When we do that, God responds. But if we continue to go into life as though we have it all figured out, and we have all the words to say, and we've got it all put together, then God's like, it sounds like you've already got things figured out. Call me when you're ready to receive help. And I don't know about you, I want to be sincere. I want to be a person with a heart for God. That no matter if I'm, you know, 11 years old at the altar in the church that I grew up in, or if I'm 48 years old and maybe a little bitter and jaded by times, I never want to be a person that I ever, ever forget and forsake the idea of coming to God and saying, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. And so I depend upon you. We don't have it all figured out. And I'm thankful that God is still gracious to us, even when we think we have it all figured out, that he's still available to us saying, when you're ready, come to me. If you're weary, I'll bear your burden. If you're going through a difficult time, I'll help you find rest. If you need answers, I'll give it to you. But you've got to get in with me and not anyone else. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.